Good morning, Bridge. How y'all doing this morning? Everybody's awake. I love this. That's awesome. Good reply. Way to go this morning. Well, welcome to Bridge Community Church. I'm Pastor Rob. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. If you're joining us in person or online, we are so glad that you are here with us this morning. And um, I want to say thank you to Andrew, who led us in worship this morning. Our guest worship leader, he did a great job. Let's give him a hand. He did a great job leading us, leading our team. And uh, yeah, thank you so much. Uh, we did... We did, never mind, we'll keep going. <laughs> uh, it's been a while since I've been up here, right? Like I haven't been able, I haven't spoken in, on a Sunday morning in like six or seven weeks. So my muscles feel a little bit stiff because I've been exercising this week, a muscle that I haven't used in a few weeks. So um, yeah, bear with me a little bit. But uh, it's been a while because Christy and I had a baby boy and uh, his name's Zebediah and we sang his favorite song this morning, Yes and Amen. That is his favorite song. He's five weeks old, and I've already said that that's his favorite song, so, but he's so, he, he's so cute. You have to take that off and be distracted. So, um, um, yeah, so thankful to God for him. He really is a fulfillment of God's promise in our lives, and so that's really what that song was about, and so... Um, this morning, if you would turn your Bibles to Romans 12, um, we're going to be in Romans 12 this morning, and we're continuing our series called Rooted, um, walking through the, uh, the book of Romans. I think this is week 28. I tried to calculate it this morning. This is week 28 in Romans. Um, I might be wrong, but I think that that's, that's where we're at. And um, so we have a few more weeks left here, going into, going into the middle of June here, coming up, and... Uh, and so this morning we're going to be in Romans 12. This is our third week in Romans 12, so I'm going to finish up the rest of the, rest of the, chap, rest of the chapter here. And um, when we get to Romans 12, the Apostle Paul writing Romans has taken a switch. Um, he's made a switch from talking about like the theology of the gospel to how do you now apply that and live it. Right? He takes the last five chapters and says, okay, now this is what that means. In light of the gospel, this is how you live as a believer, and how do you live as one who has been changed by the gospel of Christ? So um, chapter 12 kind of kicks off that, uh, that last final five chapters, and um, so it, it all starts in chapter 12 in verse 1, and uh, it says this in 12 verse 1. It says, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer yourselves as living sacrifice, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is, your true and proper, this is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Therefore, in view of God's mercy, what is your life supposed to look like? And he answers that. He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed with a new way of thinking, a new way of living. And last week, Pastor Paul's big idea was, how do we experience the will of God through the gifts that we've been given? And he talked about spiritual gifts. And this week's big idea, this isn't like the title for the message, but this week's kind of like big idea is, how do you experience the will of God through how you love others? Or experiencing the will of God through how you love others. And we see this in verses 9 through 21 here. And Paul is kind of addressing how believers should interact with two different groups of people here. 
Uh, the first group he addresses in verses 9 through 13, he says, it, it kind of answers the question, how do we love those who we're in community with? Um, specifically talking about the church, the body of believers, the community, the community of believers. And the second group that he addresses is how do believers, then how do we love those who have treated us unfairly, right? And so he addresses that in verses 14 to 21. And look, can we pray this morning before we dive into the word? Is that okay? Father, I thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to be here this morning. God, I thank you so much for this church and this community of believers. Lord, I just pray that as we dive into the truth of your word and what the Apostle Paul is writing to us, Lord, God, I just pray that you would, you would, uh, you would impact our hearts, impact our lives. God, let me, uh, let me be able to speak clearly, and it's in your name I pray. Amen. Amen. So the, let's start in, uh, we're going to start looking at verse 9. This morning in chapter thirteen, chapter twelve, verse nine, and we're going to answer. We're going to kind of look at the question of the first type of love that the gospel creates, right? What is the first, how do we love those who are in the community of believers? And so I kind of separated this out. I don't want this to be too confusing. I have six points this morning. Okay, so we got a long ways to go this morning. So bear with me, buckle up. We're gonna we're gonna plow through this. And uh, but it's kind of two sets of three, right? How do we interact with those who we're in community with? And then how do we love those who have treated us unfairly? So we'll go through it quick. I see some of your faces are like, six points? <laughs> Pastor Matt had one two weeks ago. So I love how he can speak one, like a one point and like, I can't do that. So gifted, gifted, much, anyhow. So Romans 12, verse 9, here we go. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. So how do you love those that you are in community with? How do you love your friends? How do you love those, your friends that are in the church? How do, you, how do you love those in your community group? How do you love those who you're in harmony with? Um, how do you love other believers? Well, I think the very first thing that Paul talks about here is a, with a love that is pure. A love that is pure. And in verse 9 it says, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Sincere love. And, and, and this morning I'm diving in deep. And so if, you, if I step on your toes right off the bat, I'm apologizing. We can talk afterwards because we're going to talk about how you address that. And conflict, but anyhow, we'll talk about that later in the sermon. But we can we can talk about that. But let's be honest: as we look at what Paul is writing here to the church, to the believers, this sentence, "Love must be sincere." This word "sincere" here means love without hypocrisy. Love without hypocrisy. And if we're completely honest with ourselves, a lot of churches are full of a lot of fake love, right? Like, people, we come in, and everybody seems nice and helpful on the outside. They're, they're warm, they're polite, but on the inside, they might be people who have hearts that, that, are, that are full of maybe jealousy, gossip, hatred. And, and if we're real here, even just a little, bit, a little bit further, don't raise your hand, because I'm not asking you to raise your hand, but how many of us have experienced this in the church, specifically? As believers, how, we, how many of us have experienced this from others in the church? See, I grew up a little south of here in West Virginia, and, and I grew up, my dad was an evangelist, and we traveled to a bunch of different churches, right? And we traveled primarily in, in the southeast a lot, and, 
And I heard this phrase a lot, right? Bless his heart. (laughs) Right? Which is interpreted, I just said something really mean to you, but I'm covering up with a little bit of politeness, right? You know, you have such an ugly baby. Bless his little heart, right? (laughs) Right? How many of you guys have heard that? Let's be real. Bless his heart, right? Like, that's one of the phrases that we say in the church. Like, it makes it okay for me to offend you and say something really mean because I said, bless his heart. Or maybe we take it a step further and say, with all due respect, right? That's like the, that's like the professional way of saying, bless, bless, your little, bless his little heart. With all due respect, right? Or even more recently, maybe a more relevant phrase was, no offense, but, right? And then you say something hurtful that's not based on truth, and it's just an opinion, Right? Or you hear gossip in the form of a prayer request. Maybe you've experienced that sort of love in the church. And maybe it's turned you off even to the church this morning. And being involved in this community. Jesus addresses people like this in the Gospels. And he calls them whitewashed tombs. He says, they're beautiful on the outside, but they're full of death on the inside. You know, the closer you get to somebody, the closer you're in a relationship with someone, you get to really know their heart. You get to really know who they are. And you begin to sense whether they really mean bless their little heart or they really think you have an ugly baby. Just being real. Or you get closer to them and they say, with all due respect, you really get to know, like, do they really mean with all due respect or do they really mean, like, I'm just saying that to kind of just slide a little politeness in there to kind of sugarcoat what I'm trying to say. No amount of politeness can cover what's rotting on the inside. And I remember growing up, I grew up in, we lived in a mobile home. And, uh, and, you know, every winter there was, we had this issue. We lived in the country. We had field mice. And they're always trying to get in the house, right? So we'd set traps and those sorts of ideas around the house just to kind of keep them out. And, yeah, I, I may have put rat poison out. So if you were an animal lover, I'm sorry. But anyhow, so... So we put those sorts of things out to try to keep them out of our house and that sort of idea. I remember one day, one night, I was laying in my bed and I heard this scratching, right? And I was like, wow, it sounds like a paper bag, like a plastic bag scratching. And um, didn't think anything of it. Well, a few days later, there was, this, there was this odor in our house, this really bad odor that couldn't figure out what it was. And so I got some Febreze, some air fresheners, and... You know, spraying it, and oddly enough, it was only in my room, and I was a teenager, so my mom just thought it was my room, and I was like, it's not just my room, like, I smell it, so went underneath the house and figured out that the mice had chewed through the weather covering on the bottom of the house and had died in the floor, and we couldn't get to it, so there was nothing that could cover up this smell, you just kind of had to wait it out, right, you had to wait on this thing to decompose on your floor, and uh, But hypocritical love is like that. It's like that dead mouse that died in the floor. There's no amount of air freshener or politeness that can ever cover up what is happening inside of someone. Paul says that our love inside the church should be different. It should be love that is love all the way down, right? It's love that is pure. And you might say, Pastor Rob, that's really easy for you to say, but... There are people who are really difficult to love, even in the church. And you're right. Everyone has flaws. Everyone 
No offense. Here we go, right? No offense. With all due respect, we all have annoying flaws in our lives. But how can we love sincerely without hypocrisy? Well, I think we look back to Romans 12.1, which is what we talked what we read just a little bit ago that says, Therefore, in view of God's mercy, the mercy that we receive from God, we are empowered to give it to others through tender love. So how are we empowered to give sincere love? I'm glad you asked the question. That's the next piece of what this verse says. It says, love is sincere, and it is grounded in truth. Hate evil, cling to what is good. Pure love is sincere love that is grounded in truth. Love always has to be grounded in, the, in, in God's truth. We recognize we can easily recognize love that's not grounded in the truth of God's word because it's insincere. And honestly, if it's not grounded in the truth of God's word, it's really not love at all. Being grounded in truth is being willing to say something when you know that someone is, has sin in their lives inside the church. It's being willing to have conversations that are, might feel difficult, but because we're grounded in the truth of love and we're part of a body of believers, we should be able to do that. We should be able to call out that that maybe hint of hypocrisy in somebody's life and say, hey, you know what? I smell a little bit of a stench. We should have a conversation about this. But we'll be willing to say it out of love. Sometimes our view of what's right and what's wrong can be blurred by the relationship that we have with others. You ever, th- you ever seen that in your life? Like you can be really close to someone and like, you know, I can take it from my family's perspective. Like somebody's walking in sin and I know that, but I don't want to have a conversation with them because our relationship is so close. And I don't think it really looks like sin. You know, I can begin to, like, make excuses for the way they live because it makes them happy, right? Like, they are, they're happy in what they're doing in life, even though they may not be walking the way that they should be walking. And we don't want to say something because we don't want to make them upset. And that's not a sign of love for them. To be honest, that's a sign of a lack of love for them. Love that is pure is love means that nothing can blur our view of what's right and what's wrong. It's based on the truth of God's word. And and this word detest here, it says hate, this word hate, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. That word hate literally means to be horrified by it. You should be horrified by the sin in some other believer's life. That's, that's That's what he's saying here. And when we're horrified, it doesn't mean that we go and gossip about it and say, hey, Joe, you know what I saw and -and so-and-so do? That's not what that means. It means go and have a conversation. He says, love them, go to them, speak truth to them, cling to what is good, cling to the good, cling to the truth of God's word. We need people like that in our lives, especially in the body of believers, especially in this community. And think about it like this. Think about a parent and their child. Now, there's lots of viewpoints on disciplining children, so we're going to talk about discipline as a general term this morning, okay? It's a general term. And, and when parents don't discipline their children because they can't handle the tears or anger of their kids, and the parent caves in and, and gives in, even though it may not be what's best for the child, when that happens, it's not that they're loving their kids so much that I want to give them this thing, even though it's going to hurt them, is that they love their kid too little. Because honestly, discipline hurts. Honestly, 
hard conversations, sometimes they hurt. And I've heard it said that a parent that who, who won't go through this discipline and correction ultimately doesn't love their kid too much. They love them too little. And this applies to our relationships inside the church. We love each other enough to tell each other the truth. We love each other enough to have conversation because love that is not based on truth is not ultimately love at all. A love that won't warn against the dangers of sin is, is, isn't ultimately love. And, and, and there, is a, there is kind of a, a caveat here that love that is sincere or love that is sincere is love without hypocrisy. So what does that mean? What do we think about that? So we have to make sure that we're walking in truth before we can point out the falls in others. doesn't mean we have to be perfect, but it means we should be pursuing truth in our own lives before we can point out the, the flaws in other people. doesn't mean we have to have it all together. Sincere love is not judgmental. It's not hypocritical. It's based on the truth of God's word. And when we won't tell the truth to someone, what is motivating us is not our love for them. It's our desire to be loved by them. We're afraid of losing their affection or losing, losing their friendship or losing that relationship. And it's like the parent who won't discipline. They love their comfort more than the well-being of their kid. We love feeling loved by that person better than we love the, um, better than we, we love the, the well-being of the spiritual, spiritual walk of that person. So we don't have to worry about feelings. I know, it's like, you know Why? Because Paul addresses that next. He says, don't worry about their feelings towards you. Because he says, first, faith, first, love, love them with a love that is pure. And second, love them with a love that is undivided. Love them with a love that is undivided. Verse 10 says, be devoted to one another in love. A type of love here is brotherly love. Love deeply as brothers and sisters. The love of believers in community should be undivided. It should be as a nuclear family. And I know that some of us here come from messed up families. And that's okay. Let's think about healthy families this morning. An undivided, healthy, view this through the lens of a healthy family. In a healthy family, if a, if a sibling develops a problem, you don't give up on them. Healthy families stick together. If someone speaks truth to you, you don't cut them out of your life because you didn't like the truth that they spoke to you. You stay in relationship. We need that type of love in, in our lives. When things get tough in life, we don't give up on each other and walk out. In a healthy family, we work through the problems. The verse here says devoted to one another. In a family, the problems experienced by one family member is the problem of the whole family, right? So if somebody in the church has an issue in this community of believers. There's somebody that I'm doing life with and, and they have a problem. Their problem is my problem. I own it as my issue. And I don't give up on them. If something happens for me and I'm rude to the person that I'm in relationship with, if something happens and, and I you know, offend another believer, I don't I don't avoid the situation when they call me out. I invite them back into my life. That's what the love in the community of believers should look like. Love in a family doesn't always have to be reciprocal. 
think about parents who love their kids, right, but their kids walk away from, their, from the relationship, and, and they don't love them back. If you love your kid and they don't love you back, you never stop loving them. The love of the body of believers should, should have for each other is, should be undivided. It's like a family. It's like the love that Christ has for us. It should be constant and never changing. So how do we do this? I, I think the first thing is we have to make family a priority. Not just church services, but living in community together. Calling, not being afraid to call in our community group, to let them know of a need, to share life with those that we're in community with. Church should be like a family, not an event that we attend on Sundays. Family is in each other's lives throughout the week. They're doing life together in community throughout the week. I'm going to take it a step further, right? I'm really, st- I'm really, I'm really getting in it. Pastor Paul, I'm glad you're coming back next week. You can clean up the mess. So if you're transitioning from one church to another, and I'm not saying that that's wrong or there's never a time that that should take place. And that's not what I'm saying. Just remember that it's a serious decision. It's not like changing the channel on TV. You're literally moving from one family, you're leaving one family and joining another. It's a big decision. As we share life with those in community, we move from a love, we, we move, move from a love that is pure to a love that is undivided. And I think the last point that we see here in how we treat those who are in the church, how do we love those that are in the church, a love that is pure, a love that's undivided. Third is a love that is active. A love that is active. And you see this in verse 10 through 13. It says, Honor one another above yourself. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. Serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Sharing, the Lord's, sharing with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. So how do we show active love. Well, the first thing Paul says is by honoring one another above yourself. What does that mean? It means recognize and acknowledging the value of each person in the community of believers. See, the world would tell us that someone has value to, to, to a community by, by what they can bring to the community, their accomplishments, their skill set, maybe their, their, financial, their financial status, um, whatever those similarities would be. But Paul says in verse 2, he says, do not conform to the pattern of this world But renew your mind. Think differently about this. The scripture teaches us that every person has great value. Because every person is someone made in the image of God. So each person is a valued part of the community. Each person is a valued part of the family. No matter their accomplishments. No matter their, their talents, their skills, their financial status. Every believer you see walking around in this church is someone who is purchased with the highest price that could ever be paid. And that's with the blood of Jesus Christ. Someone died to purchase. Jesus died so that we could be part of this family. Every believer you see possesses a spirit of God. And they are destined to one day rule with the King of Kings, with Jesus Christ. Love that is active. The verse goes on to say, never lack zeal. And that means they don't get lazy in doing good to other people in the body of believers. They never get lazy in valuing others. We treat them better than we want to be treated, serving others, being spiritually all in in the family. And spiritually all in is being willing to have those hard conversations in the community of believers. The scripture then goes on to say, not lacking spiritual fervor. And in the Greek, this word fervor means to boil over, means to boil. So 
Your spirit should boil when you're showing love to people in the, family, in the community of believers. Your spirit should, should boil over whenever you love those who are in the body of believers. How is our love active? How is our love active? I think Paul just lays it out for us again. He says, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are, being, who are in need and practice hospitality. We can be joyful in hope because we know that ultimately God works all things for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. We talked about this a few weeks ago. We may not be the way that we think it should be, but God is ultimately going to work it out. So we can be joyful in hope. We can be patient in affliction. Isaiah says, but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their, their strength. So patience. Faithful in prayer because we serve a God who answers prayer. He wants to be actively involved in our lives. We know that We know that we as a church family have experienced the faithfulness of God because of our prayer. And when we begin to truly love actively those in the family of believers, it impacts the way that we we, we recognize outside of the church. You know, it says, never letting a need in the body of believers go unmet. So love moves beyond words to a love that is active. And then there's a final statement here. He says, practice hospitality, period. Practice hospitality. And that word, that practice hospitality is, actually means friendly love for outsiders, right? So not just those who are in the church, but those who are outside the church. How are we treating them? Love for our friends outside the church. So first, and I, I, think it's, I, don't, I don't think it's a, a mistake of the way that Paul writes this. He says, share with the Lord's people who are in need, and then practice hospitality. So it's like two things. So first... The order here is important because I think first, there should never be a need that goes unmet inside the body of believers. There should not be a person in need in our community. So first, the needs here inside the church gets met, inside the community of believers, before the needs in the community outside the church get met. Whether it's a financial burden, a health burden, a problem in, in a family, when that happens, people in the church should come alongside and bear the burden with them. And that love and commitment towards each other should spill out into the streets. When those needs inside the church are being met, they should spill over to the, out, to the person who is outside of, outside of the body of believers. And when these things take place, guys, it changes the way that our lives, the, it changes the way that our church runs, it changes the way that the world views the church, it changes the way that outreach is done, it changes the way that, that the gospel is spread, because we don't need fancy events and we don't need huge crusades if the body of believers is truly loving the way, loving each other, the way that Paul is calling us to, to love each other, then people are going to be attracted to the gospel of Jesus Christ. People are going to, people are going to be attracted to know, like, what is different about this group of people? What is different about Bridge Community Church, right? Like, they're in Lansdale, and there's not a person in their church who, goes, who has a need that goes unmet. There's not a family that's carrying a burden on their own because they're sharing the burden together. There's a group of people that are, that are around this person. Man, you know what? So I know somebody who goes, goes to that church, and their family was sick, and that church literally sat with them day in and day out at the hospital while their family member was in the hospital. That is what the gospel looks like inside the believers. That's what the love of Christ looks like inside the body of believers. John 13, 34 says this. He says, A new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. 
Does the world know that you are his disciples by the way you love those in the community of believers? Paul is saying, you should live this way if you're a believer. This is a new way of living in light of the gospel. How you experience the will of God through loving others. Love the community of believers with a pure love, with an undivided love, and with a love that is active. And then after this, he goes on to say, then this is how you should treat those who have treated you unfairly. And, and, and this might be inside the church. This might be outside the church. But he summarizes it in one verse. And he says this in Romans twelve twenty one. How do you treat those who have treated you unfairly? It says, do not overcome evil. Do not, over, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. When someone treats us unfairly, it's easy to let evil overtake our minds. It's easy to, easy to let, you know, the world would say, get even, get revenge, cut them out of your life. You're better than them. Keep going. But remember, we're not to give in to the pattern of this world, but we're to renew by a new way of thinking. And by doing so, we experience the will of God. So Paul moves on to address how do we love those who have treated us unfairly. And I think there's three ways that we see this. And I'm going to start in verse, I'm going to skip around now through the second half of this chapter, okay? So number one is love that is humble. We treat them with a love that is humble. Says, do, verse 16 says, Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Love with a love that is humble. When Paul was writing this, they live in a time period where there was a hierarchy that was taking place in, in, the, in the culture, right? And that there was a clear lines of distinction between those who, 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 between the privileged and the underprivileged. And there were different standards of justice. There was different opportunities for progress. And he tells them, don't be, pr- don't be proud as believers. Be willing to associate with people who aren't like you. Be humble. Don't be conceited, which means to be wise in your own opinion. And can I be honest? Sometimes as believers, there's like this kind of like elitism that I've seen come from people who are, who are believers. Like, well, you know what? I'm better than them. I didn't. They treated me this way, and I'm better than them because I don't treat people that way. And I think for Paul, Paul is saying, love with a humble love. Don't be proud. Because if we're honest, you, everyone is human, right? Every one of us are human, correct? Number two is that every one of us are sinners. You have a lot more in common with the sinner that treats you unfairly than you might want to admit. Those who have treated me unfairly are human just like me. And I'm a sinner just like them. Nobody is all good or all bad. We all are good and bad. And oftentimes those who hurt others do so because they were deeply hurt themselves. And I realize in my life, by the people who have hurt me, if I had been hurt like they had been hurt, I probably would treat people the way that they treated me. And if we can view things through that lens... It doesn't excuse their actions. It doesn't release them from responsibility. It gives us a profound sense of humility as we love them and we approach the situation and we approach them. We can have a love that is humble when we see those who have wronged us through the same eyes that Jesus sees us. We're all his creation. We're broken in need of a Savior. When we, when we mess this up and we become proud, when we begin to think that we're better than the person who has treated us unfairly, we think that we're better than them because we don't do this or that, right? 
we begin to fall into the same pitfalls that they are in. We begin, begin to fall into the same, same category that they are in. We should have a love that is humble when someone treats us unfairly. I think the second one is we should have a love that forgives. We see this in verse 17. It says, Do not repay evil, do not repay evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in, in the eyes of everyone. Then move down to verse 19. It says, Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, says, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed them. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. Paul says, don't have a get-even attitude here. He says, do what is right. Serve them. Do not take revenge. It's not our place to get even or even bring judgment on them. He says, treat them with kindness. He says, don't get revenge. Not with that. Here we go. Not with the spouse that's insensitive whenever you've had a bad day, right? Not against, don't get even with the, your sibling who borrowed your jeans and never gave them back. Not against the person in the red Civic who cut you off on your way to church this morning with a license plate number of, never mind, I'm just kidding, not going there. But do not get revenge. Not against the guy at work who spread false rumors about you. Not against the parent who has disrespected you or the child that has made your life hard. Not against the person who committed a crime against you. Why? Because it says, Vengeance belongs to me, says God. I will repay. And Paul's quoting here, Deuteronomy 32, 35. This means that God will bring into account every sin ever committed. Not one sin will go unjudged. Every single one will be accounted for. Every sin ever committed will be paid for by the person and their punishment in hell or by Jesus who died on the cross for them. Thus, your revenge against evil is not required. Leave judgment to God, who will, who will judge perfectly. Every sin ever committed is either paid for in full by that person in hell or by Jesus on the cross. Your vengeance is not required. We can rest in a promise of God. It says that he's working all things, even the bad actions of others, for our good. I think one of the most beautiful stories of forgiveness is in the end of Genesis, whenever it's a story of Joseph. And Joseph is standing before his brothers, his brothers who had, who had sold him into slavery. They had betrayed him. They had lied to their own father about his death. They had treated him so, so, so unfairly, if we were to say it like that. And, and, and Joseph is at this place of leadership, and he literally has control. He, could, he has their destiny in his hands. He has his brother's destiny in his hands. And he's standing there. And I think about how much that his brothers had taken from him. They had taken literally his life from him, if, if you were to think, of, think about it that way. Did he go for revenge? No. The scriptures say that he forgave. And what he said was so key. He said to his brothers, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Don't miss the connections between that phrase and Joseph's ability to forgive. Believing that God is working good in your life, even though other people's bad actions, through other people's bad actions, that are what enable you to forgive. Does that make sense this morning? If you look at it through the eyes of God is working in this situation, even though I was treated unfairly, even though I was wronged, if I look at that and say, God is using this situation ultimately for my good, 
It enables us to begin to forgive the person who has treated us unfairly. Resting in the sovereignty of God frees us to forgive. Notice that Joseph wasn't saying here that they were innocent, right? Or that God would hold them as innocent. He just recognized that their evil plans, God was using it for God's good purposes in his life. Sometimes an obstacle to forgiving people, even after we've confronted them, is that we feel like they haven't felt the sting of what they've done to us, right? Like, you need to feel the same pain that I felt. You know, maybe Joseph to his brothers would be like, you know what, let me, let me take you and sell you into slavery. Let me, you need to feel what it feels like to be betrayed. You need to know what it feels like when your whole family has thought that you were left for dead. I don't feel like I can forgive you until you felt what I felt. Did Joseph's brothers fully understand what they had done to him? I, I don't think so. I don't think they understood the pain that they could, they could have caused him. But they didn't have to for Joseph to, begin, to forgive. Joseph was freed to forgive because he recognized the larger and bigger plan of God in all things in his life. Believe that the ultimate vengeance of God and the good sovereignty of God is what gives you an incredible freedom to forgive others. Has someone treated you unfairly? Paul says, love with a love that forgives. Love with a love that is humble. And I think finally, love with a love that heals. And we see this in in verse 18. It says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. In verse 16, it uses the phrase, it says, live in harmony with one another. And and I don't think this means like beds of roses, guys. Like I think we look at this and we think like, like that means we should live at peace with everyone, you know, that sort of idea. Paul is talking about those who have treated us unfairly. Live at peace, live live in harmony. So often when someone does us wrong, we just want to avoid the situation, right? Like we just want to cut them out of our lives. So, you know, when someone causes us a problem, you know, it's really easy for me to say, okay, well, guess what? I'm not going to invite them over ever again. Right, or or someone 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 says something I, I don't like. Well, I'll just avoid them every time I see them. So if I see them at the grocery store, I just make sure I go the, or the other aisle. Right, or someone doesn't understand or respect your faith at work. You you we we avoid them. We go to the other cubicle. Right, we avoid them and and we. We, maybe we back into our Christian bubble, right? Like that's a really easy thing to do, to back into the, 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 the Christian bubble. And our, and our culture says that if there's people who are difficult, you should delete them. You should replace them. And when you think about this, cutting someone out of your life is like the ultimate punishment. In our minds, that's the way we think about it. It's the ultimate punishment. And cut them out of our lives. However, isn't that what God's final judgment is? He says, depart from me. He turns his face from them. And if we take it a step further, isn't that what hell really is? Eternal separation from the presence of God? In comparison, that's what we do maybe when we give someone the silent treatment or we avoid them or we cut them out of our lives. We say, you're not worth a relationship with me. However, the gospel, by contrast, sends people into the world to love people as we have been loved, to love people who often make themselves difficult to love. 
Paul is saying, pursue a relationship here, church. Pursue a relationship with those who have treated you unfairly. He says, overcome evil, overcome the evil in them with your acts of good. Find healing, find peace, find harmony in doing good to them. Paul says, as long as it depends on you. So it's on us. He's speaking to the church. He's saying, it's on you. It's not on the people who, who treated you unfairly. It's not on them to come to you and say, hey, forgive me. It's on you. It's on us. It's on us as believers to go to them, to not avoid the situation. He says, live at peace with them. As long as it depends on you, if it is all possible, live at harmony, live in peace with them. Don't withdraw yourself from everyone who bothers you or offends you. And one thing I want to point out here is that I don't think this means that you have to live in an abusive relationship or, or some relationship where you're criminally being taken advantage of. Because I know people who have taken this verse to say, hey, you have to stick in that abusive relationship because it says live at peace with everyone. Do what you can do. Because it, Paul says, if it is at all possible. In some situations, this is not possible. But how do we do this? How do we pursue peace? How do we live at harmony? Well, I think first Paul says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with them when they rejoice, even if you don't see eye to eye with them. Mourn with those who mourn, even if they've treated you wrongly. And then he says in verse 20, if your enemy is hungry, feed them. If he is thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of fire on, it, on their head. He said, treat them with kindness. That's what brings healing. You know that healing has taken place in your life. When you can truly rejoice with someone who has hurt, when someone that has hurt you rejoices. You know that healing has truly taken place in your life whenever the person who has, who has wronged you mourns and you're able to cry with them. Even when that person experiences some of the painful consequences of their sin, your heart breaks and mourns with them in the pain of their actions. And you pray that God will use this to lead them to forgiveness. You know that healing has taken place when you're able to do that. You don't sit back and say, well, they finally got what they deserve, right? You don't sit back in satisfaction and say, serves them right. Isn't that what Jesus did for us? In the midst of our sin against him, on the cross, he wept for us and prayed for our forgiveness. Worship team, would you come this morning? And maybe you read this last verse, and it says, it says, in doing so, you will heap burning coals of fire on his head. And you say, well, Pastor Rob, you know what? That's more like it. We finally got to the verse at the end in this chapter that is exactly how we should treat those who have treated us unfairly. Where do I get these hot coals? We laugh about that, but it really seems out of character with the rest of this passage. Heaping fiery coals on someone's head was a Jewish metaphor. It wasn't literal. But by, do, by heaping coals of fire, it'll do one of two things. Number one, it'll either wake them up to the injustice of what they're doing to you, how they're treating you unfairly, like pouring cold water on their head. Or number two, it'll increase God's judgment on them in the day that he brings vengeance. God will say to them on judgment day, after kindness upon kindness, after, after service upon service, that, this, that they showed you, this is how you still treated them. You still treated them unkindly. Uh, uh, you still treated them unfairly. 
and God's judgment on them will be worse. Your kindness will literally heap coals on them. Our preference, my preference, I hope that everyone in here's preference would be that they wake up. That they wake up. But either way, our response to their evil is to bless them. And in doing so, you will conquer evil and stop the spread of the cancer of evil in your life. You have a 50% chance of bringing healing to the offender by treating them nicely. One of two choices. They'll either wake up or they'll suffer the vengeance of God. What changes someone heart, someone's heart is not an eye for an eye. It's grace. And isn't that how Jesus woke us up? Martin Luther King Jr. said, Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Verse 21, Paul says, Do not over, be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And as we wrap up this thought this morning, no matter who it is as, a, who it is, as believers, we are called to love through the lens of the gospel. The gospel is sincere. It's, it's pure. It's truth. It's undivided. The gospel brings unity. It's active. It speaks to humility. It offers forgiveness. And the gospel is the source of healing. If God gave us, gave me what I deserved, I would have been condemned. I deserve death, but because of Christ, I have life. I have experienced mercy, so I must humbly show mercy. We can't, ex- we can't love this way without experiencing Christ's love for us. We can't love those in the community of believers or love those who have treated us unfairly the way that Paul talks about without his spirit inside of us, walking with us and guiding us, speaking to us, changing the way that we see others seeing them through the lens of the gospel, through how Jesus sees them. And so this morning, as as we close, the band's going to play a song, and and there are going to be some reflection questions on the screen. How do we love those that we're in community, community with? And how do we love those that are treated unfairly? And so we're going to take a few moments, and I'm going to, I'm going to ask you, Maybe you need to pull out a piece of paper and jot some ideas. Maybe you need to spend some time just in reflection answering these questions. How are you connected to the community of believers? How do you love those that you're in community with? Do you treat them like family? How do I love those that have treated me unfairly? Have I pursued relationship with them? Is there, forgive, is there, is there unforgiveness or bitterness in my life? So let's do some personal reflection, personal inventory this morning, and I'll come back and and close.